One three. Everybody, Philippians one three. There's some in this passage. There's some things that I read yesterday that really spoke to my heart. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you. with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Before we go on to this passage, there's a couple things that you want to take notice of. Number one is that uh, Paul is in chains here. He was actually, this is the imprisonment he was in Rome that we read about in the book of Acts. And as he's in imprisonment, he was arrested for the preaching of the gospel, as we know, in Jerusalem and all throughout the Middle East. And so he's imprisoned. And he's waiting to be tried, uh, appeal to Caesar and be tried by Caesar. Caesar, of course, is the king of Rome, the Roman Empire. And what would happen to us if we were put in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think the, one of the first things we would think is, oh, you know, what about all the people that are missing me? You know, my family, my friends, my kids, my, my wife, everybody else, you know. And what about, you know, all the work of the ministry I was doing? What's going to happen to all that now I'm in prison? Lord, please get me out of prison. You know, I think that would be our first reaction. And, but... The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in the prayers we're praying. He says it intercedes for us these prayers according to the will of God. Because He knows the will of God. So He's praying to us, to the Father for us, according to the will of God. So as we are praying, the Bible says we don't know how to pray always as we should or as we ought to. We don't always know what God's will in certain situations. But what it says is that the Holy Spirit prays and intercedes for us according to the will of God. And so, in a place where you're in prison like that, it's a real trial. If we were arrested and put in prison, we would be praying to get out and get back to our normal life and our our comfort zone of what we're used to and what we want to do and all those other things. But yet, you don't hear that kind of desperation in Paul's voice. Paul here is you can hear he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's, and he's preaching words of encouragement to the brethren that he's writing to at the, at the city of Philippi. And he says to them, he who began a good work in you will complete will complete it till the day of Christ. What a beautiful thing to contemplate. That if God has begun in us, He's going to continue until the day of Christ. 
God has begun a good work in us if we are in Christ. And He's going to continue it. He's going to guide us. He's going to teach us. He's going to protect us. He's going to lead a light for our path. A lamp for our feet and a light for our path. So we just sang. Paul doesn't sound the least bit discouraged here, does he? But you know what? It wasn't just to the church of Philippi's writing. For 2,000 years, this letter's been circulated, as well as all the other letters of Paul in the Scriptures. And God used him while he is in prison, wherever he was. At the end of this letter, he says, I have learned that no matter what state I am in, to be content wherever I am. You know, when I was a younger Christian, I, I used to think things like, well, if all these ducks lined up in a row, then I'll do this. And if all these things line up this way, then I'll do that for God and everything else. No, we serve the Lord right where we are. Right where God has us today. Paul's in prison. Paul's out preaching in Greece or Athens. Wherever we are, we are the servants of the Lord. And you see in Paul, the way he's giving himself, praying for the churches, and writing to the churches and encouraging them. He says, because I have you in my heart, as both in my chains, this is in verse 7, and as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. And so he goes on commending the church at Philippi for all the wonderful things God is doing through them. And he's praying for them, that their, in verse 9, that their love will grow more and more in all knowledge and discernment. Loving according to the knowledge of God and with the sermon of the Holy Spirit. We may do many things out of love that are misguided. You know, so... He says, grow in love with knowledge and all discernment. And then he says in verse 12, something that's very key, but I want you to know, brothers, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. Some, the former preach from selfish ambitious, ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add afflictions to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. We see in the in the book of Acts, as we read the life of Paul, in the book of Acts and in his letters, that he suffered many things. And it becomes very clear as you read the book of Acts that Satan was trying to stop the spread of the gospel. The stonings he endured, beaten with, beaten with rods, uh, five times took 20 lashes. They were trying to stop him because it was the devil who was behind it trying to stop him. Satan was at work because the message of the gospel means freedom and liberty to the human race. Freedom from sin. Freedom from fear of death. Deliverance. Freedom from God's judgment. As we talked about liberty last week. This gospel message is poison to the enemy. But it is life to us. And so, Paul said, the things that happened to him, and at this time he's in prison, and he's talking about his chains in Rome, and he says it happened 
And it's actually, he says, the gospel is getting spread further than while I'm in prison. He says, I'm going to read it again here. That most of the brothers in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They're taking Paul's place. Paul's in prison. We got the Lord moved upon them. And so instead of riding on Paul's coattails, they're kind of like, now it's our turn. And so out they went. Just like the twelve apostles and the disciples of the of at Pentecost, they took over the ministry of Jesus. And now, as as all these apostles are spreading out and now it's going to the next generation. And so they become confident and they begin to preach everywhere without fear. And encourage them to preach. Couldn't scare them off. We remember that King Herod killed the apostle James. It didn't stop the apostles. It spread it more and more. But the point is, how did we look, how did Paul look at his imprisonment? And say, oh, like all the things I could be doing, and no. As he prayed and, and he was praying for, you know, maybe for deliverance or whatever, God showed them, God showed him that you're staying right here because this is my will, this is my plan. It's gonna it's gonna further the gospel by you staying here. And so God revealed to him the reasons why he was there. And as we continue on, it says, as we read again verse 12 and 13, it says, But I want to know, want you to know, brothers, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel, so that it became evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. You think about what he's saying here? It became evident to the palace guard. This is in Rome. This is in, in some hole in the wall place. This is the center of, 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 of the known world at that time, the culture and society at that time. was Rome. All power and authority at that time was coming out of Rome. And here Paul was sitting there in prison in Rome and he's a witness to the palace guard at the Praetorium in Rome with Caesar there. It's right in the center of everything. The center of society, right there. And God has him there. And he becomes a witness in prison to the Roman guard and to all the rest. So who's all the rest? So we go to verse 19. So hold your finger there in verse 19 of chapter 1. And while you're there, we'll go to the Philippians chapter 4, the last book of Philippians. And the second to last verse, verse 22, as Paul ends this book, and this letter, he says this, All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. <laughs> okay? So we know he's in Rome, where Caesar's household is. He's in chains there. But conversions are happening in Caesar's own house. All the saints greet you, especially those that are in Caesar's household. How in the world are they getting converted? God is using Paul in prison. So we see that the enemy meant it to try to stop Paul, to try to stop the furtherance of the Gospel, to get this thorn in his side, the Apostle Paul, to get him out of the way. 
And so the influence I had him in prison, and there he is in prison, and the gospel spreading in Rome. It's spreading in the city of Rome, the capital of Caesar's um, kingdom. So he said, well, what does that have to do with me? How does this speak to me? It shows us that whatever circumstances that God has us in, that we can not only rejoice the way Paul was and be an encouragement to others, God can use us no matter where we are. If we are content and in, 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 in Christ, that God will use us no matter what state we are in, no matter what our circumstances are. Verse 19 of, of chapter 1 again back there. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through the, your prayer and the supply of Jesus Christ, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And this is what we should be seeking for our life as Christians. That Jesus will be honored, magnified, glorified in our bodies. That we don't have a life of our own anymore. He says to me, to live is Christ. Not me. It's not Ron. It's not Paul. It's not anybody else. It's not Dave. It's not Dan. It's not anybody. It's supposed to be Christ. The rest of our life is about Christ. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Because he's looking at possible execution here. And he says, well, he says, whether I live or die, he says, my prayer is for Jesus. He says, I'm going to continue to be bold. Now some people might say, well, if I just quiet down and, you know, just sit in, sit in my prison cell and see what happens, and, you know, maybe if I want good behavior and just tone this all down a little bit, you know, they're going to let me out. It's not what he says here. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. It doesn't matter. He says, my life belongs to Jesus. He died for me. He gave His life for me. And He says, for me to live is Christ. Colossians 3. You know, set, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. He says, because when Christ who is our life does appear, we shall appear with Him in glory. Christ who is our life. And that's how we have to look at our life. The rest of our time here, we were created to give glory to God, not to ourselves, not for to entertain ourselves and, and just be pleasure seekers and just do everything fun and entertaining and the pleasing of our human nature. Our calling in Christ is to live for Him. And so, when we read Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless unless I live. Yet not I, but Christ. Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Life in Christ is living for Jesus. Not ourselves. We have been crucified with Christ. Crucifixion, as I said a few weeks ago, is about pain. Pain to the flesh. Denying the flesh. The things that the flesh wants. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme this, gimme that. I Please this, please that. Please the other thing. Hold up. Not my will, Father, but Your will be done. That was Jesus 
on his way to the cross when he was in Gethsemane. Not my will, Father. My flesh doesn't want to do this. And I'm telling this right now. And if there's another way, okay, but not my will, but yours be done. If I must suffer the, the agony of the cross, okay. And we must also experience the pain of the cross in self-denial. Jesus denied His own safety. We must deny ourselves and to live for Christ. To, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that the way we live? Are we living in fear of death? Are we living in fear of life? What do we, our life is hidden with Christ and God. Is that the way we think though? Are we thinking according to the Scriptures here? That for me to live is Christ. Can I say just in this past week, week, for me to live is Christ. And we can say, well, you know, and then we begin to take account of ourselves. And all over here you have all these things where we're living for Christ. And other things we were being selfish. And we see that that's a double-minded person. We must be all in in this endeavor as to serve Christ and to be imitators of God as His children. In verse 22, he says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. If I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. God is still using us. And He says, God is still using me. And I'm confident that God is going to continue using me. He says, I'd rather be with the Lord, he says, but I know that God still has work for me here. Would we rather be with the Lord right now? You know, on a personal level, not I know we have dependence and, and things, you know, that we're in the middle of that we have to many responsibilities that we don't want to just leave people in the lurch in. So we but what I'm saying on a personal level, we would say, Boy, to die, you know, to die is gain. To be with the Lord is better than to be here. And but he says, he says, I know that I'm confident. He says, for your the service for all of you and the labor that I have, I'm going to continue with you. And that's how we should look at our life as a service to the Lord the rest of our life. Not how much stuff we can accumulate, how many things. You know, in the we can experience in the natural, not all that stuff. People have said to me, "Don't you ever want to go to, you know, to Italy, your home country, where your parents came from, and all this other stuff, and blah blah blah." And I'm like, yeah, my human nature, sure, but I really, the people offer me two tickets together, I wouldn't go. There's too much work to be done here. To me, to live is Christ. I mean, I'm sure it would be a beautiful experience. But to me, there's work to be done here. Unless God is the one sending me there. It's about day to day, not about my own personal enjoyment. Or connecting with relatives of long past. My long lost second cousins or whatever back in Italy. To remain with you is more needful for you. It's not about Him. It's about the service of the Lord and living for Christ. So from there I want to go to another brother from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. (laughs) 
Genesis chapter 37. Now, what I said earlier about that I didn't mean that I was condemning vacations, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is just that my, for me, my focus is, our focus is in a different area. I still take vacation days. And this is uh, the story of Joseph. I'm not going to read the whole story of Joseph, just a few excerpts. chapter 37 of Genesis and verse 1. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the boy was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and made him a a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to them. And this story shows a faithful son and he tells his father, his brother, you know, he, he risks his own popularity with his brothers to tell the truth and to expose his brothers uh, for not doing what was right. And they hated him, but the father loved them. Jacob loved them. But because of it, Joseph doing what's right, we read in verse 27, or verse, uh, verse 26, his brothers, they grabbed him and they said, so, so Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not, not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. So then the Midianite trade, traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. In verse 36, now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So for doing what's right, Joseph was hated by his brothers. His brothers threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. They decided to sell him. They sold him and he became sold into Egypt as a servant of Potiphar, captain of Pharaoh's guard. So we go to chapter 39 and verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, and he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. This is not a man sulking in prison or as a slave and not complaining and sulking. This is a man serving God where he was. And God used him as a testimony to his master. To the guy he was working for. We who have jobs should listen to what that's saying. We who work work outside the home as, as brothers, we can be a testimony 
to our employers, to our co-workers, or wherever God puts us. And so here he is, sold by his own brothers. His own brothers hated him. For doing what wrong? Nothing. Completed, completely un, unjustly treated by his own brothers, his own flesh and blood. And betrayed like that and sold. And so here he is, thrown, thrown into this situation in, in a faraway country, far from all that he knew, in a far, foreign land as a slave. And what does he do? He serves the Lord there. The Lord was with him, and God worked through him to bless, bless him and to prosper him. And his master's looking and he says, there's something going on with this, this kid, 17-year-old kid. I mean, look what's going on here. And he begins to give him more and more responsibility. And, and he sees God's blessing this kid and blessing the, the Potiphar too. The, the master's getting blessed. And everything he owns is multiplying and growing. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men. You see Joseph doing this, even in the Old Testament situation. But Joseph is always letting his light shine. He's serving the Lord. He's being faithful to the Lord. And finally, the pot, Potiphar just puts his hand on it and says, I'm just giving this kid everything. He's, I'm going to let him have everything here. And just everything's going to be in, in, under his charge because whoever his God is, he's with them and it's just, I'm prospering like crazy because of this kid, what God's doing through this kid. And so it says the only thing he knew that he had was his bread that he ate. That's it. Everything, he completely entrusted Joseph. He wasn't worried that he was doing it to become a thief. Or he saw his integrity, his great integrity. And his great character. He said, I'm just putting everything in charge of this kid, with this kid. So Joseph was there. And of course, the story has it that his master's wife tries to you know, get get him to go with her, the whole story. And he refused, and so she lied to her husband and said, you know, this guy exposed himself to me, blah, blah, blah. He gets arrested. He gets thrown in prison, again, unjustly. Now he's not just a slave, now he's in prison. I mean, you talk about a guy getting a raw deal. Here's this teenager... Sold into slavery. We don't know how old he is now. At the point, I don't know if it gives a timetable. So we go to chapter 39 in verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord was with him. Paul was confirmed over and over again when you read the book of Acts and you read the letters of Paul that the Lord confirmed over and over again that he was with Paul. And it says here that God was with Joseph. Of course he is. And Jesus said to us, Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. To the end of our life or to the end of when Christ comes, He'll be with us. We have no fear. And so, if we get thrown in prison, well, we're not just getting thrown in prison. The Lord's with us there. We're not alone. We are not alone. There is nothing to fear. Jesus is our Lord and He's with us. If we are in Christ, the Lord is with us. What are we afraid of? In the book of Hebrews it says, The Lord is our helper. What shall man do to me? So we can say that. So what are we afraid of? 
So the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 22. And the keeper of the prison, that's the jailer, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. You know, we're really seeing a pattern here, aren't we? You know, we're seeing the same thing over and over again. And we saw it with Paul. That the whole prison guard, as we were reading in Philippians, he was able to be a witness to the whole prison guard. There was conversion in Caesar's household. The saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. It makes me laugh a, a a kind of a happy laugh when I think of that because of you see the work of God, how the devil's trying to stop it. It's just God will not be thwarted. And He will not be thwarted in our lives too if we would just trust Him, no matter what our circumstances are. We're looking at severe circumstances. If God will be with us in severe circumstances, how about the day-to-day? Just what's going on today? Surely we can trust Him for today. And the fears of tomorrow, the fears for our children, the fears for antichrists and marks of the beast and tribulations and, you know, super tornadoes and storms and tidal waves and everything else that hearts men shall fail them for, we don't have to be afraid of. Because the Lord is with us, whether we are in prison or whether we're in our in the supermarket, or whether we're at our job, or whether we're in our house, or whether we're in our neighborhood, the Lord is with us. And whether through life or through death, we pray that the Lord would be magnified in our lives, as Paul said. So, Joseph's in prison, <laughs> and the warden of the prison, the jailer, he puts all the prisoners under Joseph's charge. So, well, why in the world would he do that? Surely there was prisoners that were there longer than Joseph. Why Joseph? Because it's the same testimony over and over again. It says, The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the jailer saw it. It, The Lord was with him in such a way, Joseph was living in such a way that the jailer saw it. The prisoners see it. Everybody sees it. But the Lord is with him. And whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it prosper. Even in a jailhouse. Say, how can you prosper in a jailhouse? I don't know. I don't know what the circumstances of this prison were. All as we know is that when Joseph took over, everything that was put under his authority prospered. Maybe the prisoners started getting along better. Who knows? <laughs> you know, the unrest was calm. Who knows what happened? All we know is that it went well wherever Joseph went. That wherever the circumstances were for Joseph, whether he was at peace at home in his father's house, he was serving his dad, he stole, his, his, his father's heart was more towards him to his other, than to his other sons. Why was that? Perhaps it was the faithfulness of his son. He said it was the son of, jo- of Jacob's old age. But you see the honor that he showed his father. And you see that Joseph maintained his integrity even when he was falsely accused, when he was sold as a slave, was falsely accused of, of immorality. And he was falsely accused of many th- and, and thrown in jail. He maintained his integrity. He served the Lord no matter what his circumstances were. And so, while Joseph was in prison, there was the baker and the butler of the Pharaoh and had dreams and Joseph interpreted them and the butler was to be restored. And Joseph said, when you get restored to Pharaoh and to be his cupbearer again, he says, remember me, I was put here unlawfully. And the butler went, and it's happened just as Joseph said, as Joseph interpreted the dream. The butler forgot him. 
for two more years. Chapter 41, verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. We're not going to read the dream, but notice that it says it's two years. So, <clears throat> from the time that Joseph was sold into Egypt at age 17 to the time. that Pharaoh had his dream. Was 11 years. I'm sorry, not 11. 28 years. 28 years, my, yeah, 11 years. Plus 2 is 13 years. Okay, I'm I'm doing some bad math here. So 13 years from age 17 to age 30. Pharaoh has a dream, of course. Great famine was coming. Nobody could interpret the dream. The butler remembers, hey, there's a guy in prison who interpreted my dream in prison. And so he pulled him out of prison. Joseph interpreted the dream. Seven years of famine were coming. In verse 33 of chapter 41. Chapter 41, verse 33. I'm running out of time here. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt, let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven, plenty, in seven plentiful years and let him gather all the food of the good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them put food in the cities. Then the food shall be all in reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt and the land may not perish during the famine. So there's fa- seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning as wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed them in the garments of fine linen and put a golden chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. There's a saying in the world, it's hard to keep a good man down. And so, everything that Satan tried to do to destroy Joseph and to discourage him, he would not be kept down. And God had a purpose in all And it's as we are going to see. And you begin to see it here that we can say that Joseph's ship has come in. <laughs> that God had his purposes and what he did for Joseph. But now Joseph is ruler of that time in the most powerful country of the world. Pharaoh actually takes his signet ring, which is his, his, his seal of authority that they put in wax and they pushed it into wax to, to make a law and that was like the signet ring. He took it off his finger and put it on Joseph's hand, on his finger. The faithfulness of man will be rewarded. But God, it wasn't only for Joseph's reward. It was for God's purposes. 
So in chapter 45 of Genesis, he reveals himself to his brothers as ruler of Egypt. And he reveals him and he says, in verse, chapter 45, verse 3, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. Excuse me. So they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. But now do not be grieved or angry in yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land in which they were be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Joseph understands it, knows it now. Just like Paul, when he was in prison, he came to the point in saying, you know, me being in prison and being in chains, he says, have actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And the great witness in Rome and, and, and you guys being more bold to preach the gospel. In time, God began to reveal the purposes of Paul's trouble and Joseph's trouble. And in our troubles. Each of us has a, has a book about our life. And it will be revealed to us in time all the travails of our soul in this life and the meaning and the purpose that God has in only don't be discouraged and give up. Because if we do not give up, we will reap. And we will be like Joseph. We will maintain, maintain our integrity like Joseph and like Paul. And not to be discouraged in anything, as Paul said. In verse 8, he says, Now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of his house, and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. It was to save people from the great famine that was coming. And God used Joseph to save a great civilization and, and the people of Jacob, Jacob's posterity and the, and the people of Israel. And they came down to Egypt and stayed there for 400 years. And finally... In chapter 50 of Genesis, the last chapter, after Jacob's death, chapter 50 in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Jesus said to them, I mean Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in for am I in the place of God? For as for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. To save many people alive. Isn't that what Paul said to the church of Philippi? He said, you know, it was the evil of men that put me in prison here arrested me, put me in prison. And here I am in Caesar's prison. The ruler of the greatest country at that time. The greatest empire at that time. Joseph was in Egypt under Pharaoh, the greatest ruler of his time. Now, Paul's in there. And he says it's, that all this happened to him for the furtherance of the gospel. That many people might be saved alive. That many people, the gospel would be preached and many people would be saved. 
the great message that we read both from the Old and the New Testament. And the story that Paul writes in this letter to the Philippians and also the story of the life of Joseph. A man who from the natural perspective said, we got a raw deal. But you know what? You never hear him sulking. You never hear him you never hear a word about him feeling sorry for himself. At least it's not recorded anyway. <clears throat> but if he did, he didn't stay there. That God helped him and was with him in everything that he had, wherever he went. Not only was God with him, but it was evident not only to Joseph, but everybody around Joseph. Everybody around him. His father saw it. His master saw it when he was sold into slavery. And the prosperity of the household. When he was sent into prison, the, the, the jailer of the prison saw it. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, saw it. And <laughs> to the point, to what point? To the point where he says, I'm ruler of Egypt. I'm giving you rule over Egypt. Taking my ring off my finger and I'm putting it on yours. You're going to make decisions for my kingdom from now on. Because of the testimony that was given through Joseph. That God was with him and he maintained his integrity even in all the evil things that were done to him. And all the raw deal. And you see the same thing in the life of Paul. In the book of Acts, they were saying, the rulers were saying, this man would have been released if he wasn't, didn't appeal to Caesar. He hasn't done anything wrong. And yet he maintained his integrity. And he continued the ministry when he was in prison. And he continued to write letters. And he continued to be an encouragement. And he continued to preach the gospel to the, to his, to, to the guard <laughs> and, to, and to Caesar's household. And others were encouraged to do more so and to be bold by his example. That's all I have to say. I kind of went over today, but if you brothers want to comment on that or, um, you know, on this testimony of Paul and Joseph.